this shouldn't be happening, or poor me, or why did they do that? They should have done something differently. But as soon as I'm entering into a should, I'm entering into resistance. It's my expectations that are creating that ex extra suffering. It's not actually what is happening that is creating the suffering and the pain. It's my resistance to allow it to be as it is. Welcome back to the show, friends. Today on Radical Health Radio, I'm talking to you all about mental models. Mental models are these perspective shifts or frameworks that you can think about and apply to life to help you thrive and achieve your radical health. So I'm be digging into my five favorite mental models that have really helped me on my journey to enjoy life more, suffer a little bit less, and make more progress in a shorter time frame. And then we get into our caller today is Ellen from New York, who has a question all about Hashimoto's thyroiditis and medication and potentially healing so she can get off those medications. So buckle up. This is a fun one. It's very helpful. It's very actionable. And if you take the lessons and the wisdom and apply it to your life from this episode, I think it is only inevitable that you will be thriving in no time. Let's dive in. Morning. Welcome back to the show, friends. Today, I'm going to be talking all about mental models, my favorite topic. So what are mental models? I guess you could see them as frameworks to play with, to think about the world. Or said another way, they are perspective shifters. And the reason that's so important is I believe that perception is reality. How we perceive the world is how we believe it to be. So if we wanna change our external world, sometimes we've just got to change how we think about the world. And mental models are just that. They're opportunities to think about the world a little bit differently. Now the caveat here is that mental models aren't really needed when life is great and it's all sunshine and rainbows and we're in flow and it's all beautiful because we don't really need a mental model for that. We're just in gratitude and in flow, we're in presence, it's awesome. So most of the mental models we'll be talking about today are reframes and perspective shifts for when life is a little bit more challenging or opportunities to kind of call yourself into being that more evolved version of you, more of your potential. So we are just going to get right stuck in. I've got five for you today. These uh, have been something that I've, I've, I've been working on and thinking through a lot over the years uh, on my self-development journey, and they've really helped me bring me much closer to achieving my why and my full radical health and self. And therefore, I think they're going to be very helpful to you. Now, they are mental models, so we're going to be working very much with mindset today. But I would say mindset is probably 80% of the you know success recipe. The strategy is the other 20%. If we can get this thing right, then the rest of it becomes easy. So buckle up. We'll go through my five favorite mental models, and I think they'll be able to help you on your radical health journey too. So number one is all about acceptance versus resistance. Now, humans are very, very good at arguing with reality. What do I mean by that? You probably don't even realize you do it, but after this, hopefully you catch this a little more quickly. We're very good at putting expectations on things in our head and doing that tricky, sticky little thing where we should all over ourselves or we should all over other people or we should all over the world. And I would say, be careful shutting all over anything because it gets messy very, very quickly. Because when I start to shut all over something, I'm in resistance to what actually is. Resistance gets me stuck. 
It's me arguing with reality. And if I argue with reality, I lose every single time. And humans are really good at doing this. When something doesn't go our way, we kind of mentally flagellate ourselves and torture ourselves with this idea that it somehow should be different. Oh, this shouldn't be happening. Oh, poor me. Why did they do that? They should have done something differently. But as soon as I'm entering into a should, I'm entering into resistance. It's my expectations that are creating that ex extra suffering. It's not actually what is happening that is creating the suffering and the pain. It's my resistance to allow it to be as it is. And again, humans are masters at this. We love resisting reality. We love playing this game where we say it should be a different way. But obviously, as uncomfortable as it is, it shouldn't be any different than it is. It has to be the way that it is. There's no changing that. That is the objective truth of what is. The subjective shutting all over it is resistance, and that is where we suffer. So like I said, if we argue with reality, we're going to lose every single time because what we resist persists. Not only what we resist persists, it kind of grows bigger. There's this idea that where your attention goes is where your energy flows. And when you're in resistance to something because you're shutting all over the world or you're shutting all over yourself, then it just magnifies, it gets bigger and bigger. And you kind of get sucked into this negative kind of headspace and you can't seem to shake it. And that bad mood or that resistance can stay with you for a day or days or weeks. It can even turn into a predisposition or a personality over the course of months and years. So you've got to be very careful about not entering into resistance with the world and moving into acceptance. If what I resist persists, then what I accept, I can adapt to. And only when I adapt to it, can I grow through it. Can I change it? Now, a lot of people get stuck here because they think acceptance means liking what is. That's not necessarily true. Acceptance doesn't mean what's happening is peaceful, but it means that you can make peace with it. And there's a big distinction here. I don't have to like what I accept, but I'm fundamentally choosing to no longer play the game of arguing with reality because I'm setting myself up for failure. I'm going to lose that every single time. So acceptance is just the acknowledgement that this actually is the way that it is. It should be this way because it is this way. Now, what am I going to do about it? Again, I don't have to like it. It could be painful. It could be really triggering. It could suck. But at least I'm going to now start moving into more of a problem-solving mode of accepting the reality of what is so I can adapt to it, so I can start to change it. Because if I stay in resistance, I'm going to get stuck. What I resist persists. So I need to move into acceptance. So how do we do that? How do I move from this proclivity towards arguing with reality into accepting what is and changing it? You can use language. I like to prompt myself into this through various different questions and various kind of meta models within the overarching mental model of moving from resistance into acceptance. So something I'd say a lot is a lot of people use the language of this is happening to me. Why is this happening to me? Now, what I've now started to do is say, why is this happening for me? The to me language is very much resistance. It's very much like I'm at the mercy of circumstances. This sucks. Why me? Poor me. And the story just grows and grows and it gets massive. When I can stop and stop playing that game and move into acceptance and go looking for the lesson by saying, why is this happening for me? Again, it still might suck, but there's something here now. I've changed the way I'm looking at it. I've changed the way I'm perceiving this troubling thing in front of me. Now, maybe I can start to look for the lesson, the growth opportunity. And maybe I realize that what I'm going through, I'm growing through. This is growing me. 
maybe actually I can be grateful for the challenge ahead of me because I know it's going to enhance my future self. Maybe this bad thing is actually good training because in the future I'm going to be better prepared. So you can see quite quickly, just by changing the lens in which we look at it, we turn a potential bad thing into a potential thing that we can grow through, which again, might not be easy, might not feel that good, but ultimately is a much more useful energy and mental model and way of looking at life than staying stuck in resistance and just becoming a negatron that is you know, casting out dispersions about the world or ourselves and getting stuck in that energy. Because I have never met anybody that's been able to make a, a positive lasting change from the energy of resistance. Because they don't, they just get stuck. And the more they resist, the more it persists and it just grows and grows and grows and they get stuck in the mud and their feet are like concrete blocks and they can't move forward. There's no momentum. So it's fundamental that you must learn to accept what is. You must learn to accept what is. And, and the challenge here is you're gonna have many, many micro moments to try and practice this uh, mental model over the day, every single day because you'll do it all the time. There'll be little inconveniences like traffic or like when the coffee shop barista got your order wrong or whatever it is, and you see your tendency to start resisting what is, start arguing with reality. I can't believe this, this is ridiculous, this shouldn't be this way. And you can go, ah, there I am, I'm doing it again. Not why is this happening to me? Why is this happening for me? What is the lesson here if I stay in that beginner's mindset that I can go looking for? And the last point I'll add here is I use a little acronym for myself uh, that's very simple, but very, again, empowering to move me back into acceptance, which is WIN, W-I-N. What's important now? What's important now? Is it that I throw a temper tantrum and stay in resistance to what's happening? Is that what's important right now? Am I going to make myself feel better by complaining more about what is happening? Or is what's important right now actually moving into acceptance, looking for the lesson, going through it and doing what needs to be done so I can move forward and get out of this? Like the, the, the example I always use here is, let's say you're driving to work, you've got a big meeting you've got to get to, it's stormy, it's raining outside and you get a flat tire on the side of the road. Now you're gonna be late for this big meeting. You don't wanna change the tire in the wet because it's stormy. It's, it's not a fun situation, right, immediately you could go into resistance about, this is the worst thing in the world, I'm gonna get soaking wet, I'm gonna miss it, oh, what do I do? And you can spiral and you can kick the car tires and curse the gods. Is that what's important now, to throw a tantrum? Or is what's important right now to say, well, this sucks, who am I gonna call? I gotta get on the phone with AA, then I've gotta text my boss and update them and say, hey, I got a flat, I'm gonna figure it out. Or maybe I can call my spouse or my partner and say, hey, can you pick me up right now, I need some help. Right? You can very quickly shift into problem-solving mode instead of being buried in the muck and the mire of resistance. So that's lesson number one, because it's a really big one. We must seek to move into acceptance and stop resisting so much. If you argue with reality, you will lose every time. And we don't like to lose. So start winning a little bit more by moving into acceptance. Number two, which builds very nicely from number one, is this idea of radical responsibility. Radical responsibility. What do I mean by that? Well, the world and our mind is kind of set up to make us a victim. A victim is somebody that's at the mercy of circumstances or the world or external events in terms of how they take action or how they feel. Somebody that takes radical responsibility is, is trying to beat the victim consciousness, to step into the victor consciousness. The very big difference between being a victim and being a victor. Radical responsibility is all about owning the fact that I am responsible for everything that happens to me. 
Not everything that happened to me is my fault, but it is my responsibility. There is, there is a lot of truth that what has gone, what happened to you? There might be real strokes of bad luck. There might be malevolence in your life. Somebody hurt you and there was just genuine things that you had no control over. This isn't to point the finger of blame and say, that's your fault. That's not your fault, but it is your responsibility with what you do with that. And you can apply this mental model to everything you do in your life. How can I take radical responsibility for all of this? What do I do now, despite this? You can see how it builds from the resistance piece, okay? I'm in resistance because this thing really sucks. Am I gonna be victim to it? Am I going to let this rob me of my sovereignty and my power to move forward because I'm gonna say, oh, well, I am this way because of that, or I did this because of you? Because you can see the trap there. The mind wants to do it. The mind wants you to be a victim because to be a victim is relinquishing your responsibility and therefore it's not your fault. If I can say, well, I only did this because you did that, it's a little trap because I get to say, well, see, it wasn't my fault. And it feels good when it's not our fault. But the problem with that is it's a complete loss of personal power. It's a position of weakness. Because if I'm saying that I am only doing what I'm doing because of external world and events, then I basically can't change that too, because I'm, the, I'm at the mercy of other people or the mercy of the external world. The person who takes radical responsibility, it's a position of power. They take it back. Again, you don't need to like what happened, but you're taking responsibility for it to say, I'm not going to victimize myself anymore. I'm going to fight back. I'm going to take my power back. I'm responsible for what I do now. That's the only thing I've got is my actions. The only thing I've got is my frame of mind and my perspective on what I do next. But if I sit in that position of weakness, that seat of victimhood, I'll never make a change from there. So you have to practice this. And two very powerful words can sometimes be triggering words to practice this is my fault. My fault. Now, I just said, and this is the disclaimer again, that not everything that has happened to you is your fault. It is your responsibility, though. And practicing, because remember, these mental models aren't literal truths in every situation. They are frameworks to play with. They are ideas to throw on top of a situation to see if they can help you move forward. And this idea of using the term my fault can be a lot of pressure for some people, but it can also be very liberating because it means I'm taking all of it on myself. It's my fault. What happened? Cool. My fault. What am I going to do about it? Because I could say, well, their fault or the world's fault. But then what am I going to do with it? Am I going to just sit back in the seat of doing nothing and feel good because it was them or it was the world or it was the weather or it was the fact that I got a flat tire? I'm going to say, cool, my fault. What do I do about it now? So it can be really liberating to take that because now I'm responsible for it all, the good and the bad. And that just means that it's putting me in the seat of just what do I do next again? When? What's important now? Right? Take your power back because you can either be owned by circumstances or you can own them. And the person that is stuck in victim consciousness is owned by their circumstances. The person that can step into radical responsibility and be the victor is owning their circumstances so they can move forward. Which is so important because life's not always going to be smooth sailing. It's going to throw you curveballs. And if you've trained yourself to fall into the trap of only being able to take action when everything's going good... It's a problem because a lot of the time it's not going to be going good. A lot of the time it's that motivation and discipline thing. Again, if I feel motivated and life's groovy, great, right? Motivation, doing what you want when you want to do it. What happens when life is challenging and I don't feel like doing it and I need to rely on that discipline, that ability to do what I know I need to do even when I don't want to do it. It's very closely linked to taking radical responsibility for that. No, I have to take the power back. 
and the ownership of my emotions and my feelings and the external world to do what I know I need to do by taking responsibility for it. So don't fall into the trap of being a victim. It's a position of weakness, it's powerless, and it might feel good temporarily, but it will not feel good in the long run because it will not allow you to become the kind of person that you are trying to become. The only version of you that be can become that higher self, your most evolved version of you, is the person that's able to take radical responsibility for everything and say, what do I do with that now? I can stay at the mercy of circumstances or I can become the master over them. Duh, 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 duh. Number three of my five mental models is a trite little saying, which is very powerful. I practice this a lot for myself and my clients, that missing once is life, but missing twice is a choice. Missing once is life, but missing twice is a choice. You gotta understand something. It's never the first miss that ruins a person. It's the spiral of repeated mistakes that happens after the first miss because they allow themselves to spiral. They choose the spiral, right? Missing once is life. Nobody, nobody is perfect. Nobody hits home runs every single time they step up to the plate. Nobody crushes every single day. Nobody nails the diet 100% all the time. Nobody hits every workout and gets up out of bed ready and rocking to go at 6 a.m. every morning. Just nobody does it. Life happens. It's difficult sometimes. It's stressful sometimes. You did get the flat tire sometimes. It can throw off your whole day. Your kid is sick. You had a really stressful day, whatever it is. Life is gonna happen sometimes and you're a human. So you need to simultaneously allow yourself the grace to be able to miss once because that is just life and it's realistic, but the self-accountability to not miss twice because missing twice is a choice. Again, it's never that first miss that ruins a person. It's never the one veering off the path from your diet that ruins the person. It's the fact that when I veer off the path, I know it's, well, it's Friday night, and well, Monday's a couple of days away, and I might as well, yeah, I had pizza, so I might as well just you know, turn the whole weekend into a, you know, a, a food fest, and I'll start again on Monday. And then Monday comes around, and because I've got all this negative momentum now, I can't seem to quite get back on. The example of that is, okay, maybe I didn't do so good on my Friday night food choice. I don't need to wait till Monday. There was my miss. I didn't set myself up for success. I went to a place and there was no great choices and whatever, I made the choice that I made. I make peace with that. Missing life is, missing once is life. Missing twice is a choice. So now when Saturday morning rolls around, I can continue to miss and allow the spiral of mistakes to consume me. Or I can say, it doesn't matter that I ate that way last night. What matters is what I do now. I'm only ever one decision from being back on track. And the good news about that track is that it doesn't really exist. That's a mental model that we create so we can justify falling off something. Oh, I fell off the wagon. Well, good news, the wagon doesn't exist. All you've got is choices. That's all you have and you always are choosing. So when you slip and when you miss, be able to say, that's okay, I'm a human. I don't need to self-flagellate and beat myself over the head with the stick of shame and say, oh, I'm a failure, I'm never gonna be able to do this. I need to have a little bit of compassion for myself and to say, cool, you get back on track tomorrow or you get back on track with your very next choice because it's the missing twice that is the choice. And if I do that, that's the start of the new habit. That's the lower self stepping back in again. And we are fighting back for our power and our sovereignty to take responsibility for not missing twice. Missing once is life, missing twice is a choice. 
mental model number four is that how you do one thing is how you do all things. Or how you do little things is how you do big things. Now again, none of these are literal truths in every single situation. They are useful frames to apply to the world to assess how you're living and how you're thinking. I really like this idea of how I do one thing is how I do all things because it empowers me with a sense of excellence in all that I do, all that I do, from the way I think to the way I act to the way I interact with the world and other people. It gives me a sense of pride, right? It, it forces me to assess how am I doing everything? Because how I do the little things is often indicative of how I'm going to do the big things. So something I always like to think about is how do I leave everything better than I found it? Everything, not just myself, you know, on the day to day, but other people. And that might mean genuinely being curious about somebody's day, the grocery store worker that's checking out your bags or the the person in line at the store that you can genuinely just maintain eye contact with a little bit and listen to them and put your phone down and ask them about their day and be curious and give them a compliment. Like now I can leave that person a little bit better than I found it. And what about when you see litter on the street? You could easily, quite easily say, oh, that's unfortunate, but I didn't do it and I don't have the time to go and grab that and find a trash can and all of that stuff. But how I do one thing is how I do everything. If I'm willing to see that garbage and then not have the responsibility to pick it up, where else am I not picking up the proverbial garbage in my life? So now <laughs> I can't walk past garbage and not pick it up because I know it's indicative of something else. It points at something else where I'm not really operating in this level of excellence in all that I do. So I'm going to pick up the garbage. I'm going to take every single opportunity I can to prop people up and pat them on the back and celebrate them. And I'm going to treat myself with that level of respect too. How I do one things is how I do all things. How do I look after myself? How do I treat myself? How do I feed myself? How do I think? Because we might be doing all this stuff great externally, but what about internal chatter? What if my self-talk is so scathing and it's so much in that victim mindset and I'm doing so much of this, oh, why is life happening to me? And I'm in resistance all the time, right? We've got we've to kind of adopt this attitude of excellence across the board. Because if I start to do the little things really well, the things that we often think don't matter, they really do. Because the little things become the big things. And life is made up of little things. And little by little, a little becomes a lot. So we need to do everything with an attitude of excellence. How you do the little things really matter. I, the, the example I always use are the people that don't put the shopping carts away after they put the groceries in the car, right? I bet there's not a single person who doesn't put the shopping cart away that is going to be abundantly successful across all areas of the life because they couldn't take that extra 20 seconds to walk it back and put it away. And hey, maybe even see the lady over there that's saying, I'll take yours back for you too as well because I want to do everything from this opportunity to practice excellence, to take pride and to be, uh, you, know, you know, my practice being my most evolved self. So look for ways in your life that you may be just kind of abdicating that responsibility or slacking off a little bit and try to just level up. It's not about being perfect again. It's not about being so regimented and perfect and dialed in on every single facet of life because 
that's not realistic, but it is about taking a critical bird's eye view of zooming out a little bit for that perspective shift of basically saying, okay, I know I'm doing these things really well, so we don't need to change those, but what are the little things that I could be doing a little bit more? You know, it could be just communication, it could be self-talk, it could be the way I treat myself or the way I dress myself or the way I address strangers or the way I fight with people on Facebook or whatever it is, and try to adopt this mentality of how I do one thing is how I do all things. And last but not least, mental model number five is all about the power of language. This is the difference between I have to versus I get to. I want you to think about that for a second. When I say things like I have to, what kind of energy does that instill in me? So, oh, I have to go to the gym. I have to go today. Versus I get to go to the gym. I get to eat healthy today. I get to practice an animal-based diet instead of saying like, I have to give up gluten. I have to say no to, you know, the burger joint at work because I know they use seed oils. The I have to language often comes from a place of deprivation. It's very deficit driven and it's kind of got like this inbuilt negativity and suffering to it. The I have to language is really cool because it's got like inbuilt gratitude. Like when I say, I get to go to the gym, all of a sudden with that statement, I also get to remember, oh yeah, I have a working body. Like I can move it. I can go to the gym. I get to do these exercises. I get to get stronger. Instead of like, oh, I have to go to the gym because my program said so, or I've got to, I have to lose 10 pounds. No, you get to, you get to. It's very, very different. And this is an overarching message in terms of the importance of our language across the board. The power of your language is very, very, very important. Because what your, when we think about health, we're often thinking about what we put in our mouths from food and water and all of that good stuff. But we don't often think about what comes out of our mouths and maybe what's coming out of our mouths inside our head with our self-chatter. But that matters too. The words that you say have an energy about them. You can feel it. Practice more positive self-talk and check in with your body and your mindset and see how it feels. And practice blaming, complaining, victimizing yourself, saying that life sucks and everybody's and it's doomed and blah, blah, blah. Right? You can feel the energy of that. Words and thoughts become things. So the energy with which you say things really matters. So you got to check yourself for when you're using weasel words like... I'm going to try, you know, I'll, I'll try this week to, to get to the gym. I'll try. Because when you say I'll try, you're already have the inbuilt excuse for the reasons why you're probably not going to do it. So what's the different energy shift when you say I will, I will go to the gym three times this week because I get to not I'll try because I have to very, very different words really matter. I always found it interesting that when we write things down, we spell words and I almost feel like the words that we say internally and externally are like casting spells. They're basically magic because perception is reality. When I cast better spells into the world or in my mind because I'm taking more of a positive frame, then guess what happens? My inner world gets more positive. I start to see things from this opportunity, from this potential place, from this energy of abundance instead of the scarcity and all of the problems, and all of the doom and gloom. So I'm literally creating my reality through the words that I get to say. 
And something like I have to versus I get to is a very good example of that. But your self-talk really matters. And if it matters, and it seems like a little thing, but how we do the little things are actually big things, then it's important that we do it well. So watch your weasel words and watch the negativity and the chatter. It must be changed if you want to change your external reality. If you want to change the world out there, change the world in here. Change the world and what you say and speak into it and through your actions. So a quick little recap and then we'll move into our callers for the show. Number one, acceptance versus resistance. If you argue with reality, you will lose every single time. One of the most freeing things you can do for yourself is learn to start accepting reality as it is in a shorter time frame so you can adapt to what is, so you can get busy changing it in a positive light. Mental model number two was all about radical responsibility. Not everything that happened to you is your fault, but it is your responsibility with what you do now. How can you take your power back? How can you transcend the victim consciousness and step into the victor consciousness by taking responsibility and by practicing trying on the onesie of saying, my fault, this is my fault. What am I going to do about it now? How am I going to change? What's important now? How am I going to move forward? Mental model three was that missing once is life and missing twice is a choice. It's never the first miss that ruins a person. It's the spiral of repeated mistakes they allow to happen after the first miss. Give yourself the grace to be a human. You're going to miss once. Life happens. But hold yourself to the accountability that you will not miss twice and you will get back on track with your very next choice. Number four, how you do one thing is how you do all things. Pretty self-explanatory. Do the small things well because the small things are actually big things when you do them well. And number five is all about the power of language. I have to versus I get to. Watch your mental chatter over the course of the day and weeks and all of this, like I have to, deficit-driven language, negative self-talk, and transition it into a more positive frame because if you change your internal words, your external world will match. So there's our mental models, fam. I hope they are as helpful for you as they have been for me. I believe that they will be. And it's all a practice. You're not going to just be able to apply these immediately, but hopefully there's something there that you can hold on to and you can shift your perspective when you get into life and uh, life throws you those curveballs, which it's you know, likely to do. So without further ado, it's time to talk to our callers today. It looks like we have Ellen on the line who's calling from New York. Seems we've got a question about Hashimoto's and uh, yeah, some some uh, insights there. So, Ellen, would you like to jump on, say hello, yeah. and uh, tell us the story? Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Um, yeah, it's about 12, yeah, 12 years ago, I was diagnosed with um, Hashimoto. Uh, my doctor immediately put me on Synthroid, and I've been taking that ever since. Um, I, of course, researched, and I've been on paleo pretty much most of the time. I'm gluten-free, dairy-free legume free i think that's all the good moves yeah um but i'm questioning now you know i am i going to be on this medication for the rest of my life i i do everything that i'm supposed to do i i'm healthy in all ways um i work out i have good attitude i sleep well i do all those good things and i'm just wondering am i going to need to be on this medication for the rest of my life or is my thyroid healing? Mm. Um, that's where I'm at. And how do I know that my thyroid is healing? 
Yeah. Um, that kind of thing. So that's where I'm at. I'm questioning um, being on this medication. Yeah. And all things look good. Okay. Well, good. I'm very, I'm very pleased for you <laughs> going on this journey, Ellen, and kind of reclaiming your birthright for radical health and trying to get off medications. I think that's the ideal, right? Now, of course, we're going to have to work with the doctor here and we're not doctors and all of those classic disclaimers. However, you sound like you, you, you went to the right places when you were educating yourself around this. Um, Hashimoto's thyroiditis definitely has that autoimmune component, uh, very much triggered uh, by gluten and gut issues. So going into more of a paleosphere. And I think recently adopting more of an animal-based diet is definitely the move forward because you're removing the bulk of what is causing the problems and then setting your thyroid up for success for healing. Now, what is what was the... I guess, impetus for transitioning from more of a paleo framework to an animal-based diet? What's been happening there? How are you feeling with that? And then tell me well, if these conversations with your doctor are happening about, you know, what's happening with the dose and can I get off Synthroid? Are we having those chats right now? Tell me what's going on. Yeah. Um, I moved more to carnivore. I, I, of course, I read Carnivore Code and um, Dr. Gundry's Plant Paradox mm -hmm. and thought, well, maybe, you know, less plants, you know, I stopped the cruciferous vegetables um, and my, my digestion is very quiet, which mm. I know gut health is immune health. So yes. very quiet digestion, which is good. Um, my doctor really never talked about diet. I did this all on my own and talking to friends and reading and researching. And he pretty much doesn't really you know, he sees my TSH levels are fine, so that's mm -hmm. it. Goodbye, I'll see you in six months. Mm. And, you know, you ask him about the diet, and he's resistant, I guess, like many doctors, for just keeping you on your medication. You're doing fine. Yeah. Your thyroid levels are fine. We're done. I'll mm. see you in six months, and we'll take another blood test. And I'm just at the point in my life where I'm just questioning um, this, and I just want to know more. Yeah. Well, good for you. I think that your the quality of your yeah. life is defined by the quality of the questions that you're asking. And um, you're asking the right kind of questions because I don't believe anybody. There's nobody that yeah. wants to be on medication for the rest of their life. Right. And I, I, again, just going deeper into this backstory now with your diet, I think you're you're well on your way to healing the, the going to kind of more of a carnivore slant diet to remove those cruciferous vegetables is very big because we know there's goitrogens in certain leafy greens and your cruciferous veggies that can kind of yep. bind to the thyroid and reduce function there. Um, however, <clears throat> if you go too strict with carnivore, even though it can be an incredibly healing um, and it's an elimination diet, essentially, we could potentially run into issues long term because of the long term state of ketosis and maybe the loss of metabolic flexibility. So one thing that we do know is important for thyroid health as well is an adequate intake of glucose in the form of what we would say an animal-based diet. You know, the, the raw dairies, which I'm going to come back to too, because I think that could be an interesting food for your self-experiment to add back in raw dairy because of the selenium and the, you know, complex food matrix of protein, carbs, and fat. But a little bit more fruit and a little bit more maple syrup. So your carbs don't necessarily need to come from your veggies, uh, which could have issues with thyroid, but could come from more of these benign, gut-friendly sauces that are bioavailable, tasty, 
delicious because there does seem to be emerging body of evidence that long-term ketogenic or carnivore diets could suppress thyroid. Uh, it's a stressful state to be in basically forever because it's a signal from the environment that there is a scarcity. It's the eternal winter. And if it's the eternal winter, then those were times of scarcity. Those were times to hunker down a little bit. And that was the kind of slow of the metabolism, yeah. slow down of the thyroid. So how would you feel about potentially upping the gut-friendly carbohydrates again, a little more, you know, fruit? And like I said, with raw dairy, I think this can be a really cool food. Um, again, very different from yeah. conventional because it's not pasteurized and homogenized and treated with all of this other nonsense behind the scenes, raw dairy can be really healthy and healing yeah. for people with thyroid issues. So how would you feel about potentially adding in more fruit, more raw dairy, a little bit of honey or maple syrup and things like that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm going to try that. And I also found a farm. Um, I'm on Long Island, so I found a farm here on Long Island um, that has raw dairy. Beautiful. Um, you know, they're registered and all that kind of stuff. So I'm definitely going to consider going in there. I've always kept away from dairy, um, you know, um, but I'm thinking that I should put some of that back in. Yeah. Um, and uh, we'll see what the doctor says in my next visit next month. Yeah. So I, I did want to talk about that with you, too. Um, so so with the raw dairy piece, I would say just start slow, you know, see how your body responds to it. Don't be afraid of carbohydrates. The fact that you've been on this journey now for 12 years, um, 10 years, you know, a decade, you've, you've got some a be like beautiful metabolic uh, pathways open to you, your metabolic flexibility. You've taught your body very much how to burn fat again and how to burn ketones. But you don't need to swear off carbohydrates forever. In fact, I think you might potentially cause more harm than good in the long run if you go super restrictive carbohydrates, especially with a sluggish thyroid that is now in the healing phase. So start slow with the dairy, see how you respond. It can be an incredibly nourishing food. It's obviously easy to get in those extra liquid calories. And we want to be in a pro-metabolic state for anything that's thyroid related because that's what the thyroid's there for, right? It's regulating metabolism and energy output. So now back to these, uh, the elephant in the room with the doctor is I would, again, just have a conversation and potentially be a little bit more firm in your desires to reduce this. One of the things that is, yeah. is quite, quite well known with these thyroid medications like Synthroid is that it's absolutely possible to get people off them. Now, what you want to do is address the, the, the needs of the thyroid first to see that you're not, you know, you've, you've got adequate blood ranges and everything's measuring good or you're, you're subclinical ranges, you're not kind of super spiked. Um, and that should put your doctor's mind at ease to at least open that conversation. Now, I wouldn't go in gung ho and saying, okay. right, I want off this next week. But maybe devise a plan with the doctor to reduce, you know, by 25 micrograms every four weeks with a six month wean off plan. Or maybe you feel better and you want to reduce that time frame down to three months. But going in and kind of playing a little bit of chess with the doctor in terms of how can I yeah. make them feel comfortable that I'm not just going to cold turkey off this because that probably wouldn't be advisable either. Even if your thyroid is healed and healthy, you don't want to cold turkey anything because it's going to have a, you know, a knock on effect in the body. But slowly weaning down over time because it sounds to me like your thyroid is very much healing and the blood ranges are feeling good about that. So I would have a conversation about let's devise a plan that's either six months or three months and what would be a sensible just dose dependent reduction over that time frame because doctor, yeah. maybe I'm doing this with or without your better wishes, because this is not what I want for myself. And you've just got to understand the, the, the yeah. realm that the doc doctors operating from is, is one of, they just, 
you know, they want you to be healthy and obviously they, they, they see these medications can help. And, but I don't think they have many people like you in the practices that are going out and educating themselves and really healing from a kind of, you know, functional standpoint and a holistic standpoint. So you're a, you're a different case and you get to, you deserve to be off the medications if that's what you want. So I'll just make it a little more collaborative with the doctor and kind of, you know, position it that way and go in and see how you're doing and trust that your body is healing and it's coming back to health and you do not need to be on this medication forever uh, as long as you are, you know, providing the requisite nutrition and creating a body that is healthy. And it sounds like you are. Yeah, I'm trying. And I think it's worth the effort to see how I do uh, without the medication and, and slow, slowly uh, lowering the dose sounds like a really good plan. And I thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Um, that was a great question. And I, I did know that you said, you know, you've got these other things going on too. like you're trying, you're trying your best, you know, you're keeping your stress in check and you're, I know Long Island, so maybe not yeah. that much sunshine right now, but when the summer's come, I hope you get in a good dose of sunshine <laughs> and grounding your feet in the grass. And Definitely. Is there just any little closing remarks there about, about, you know, just the holistic management of this that's not diet related to that's, you know, good sleep and stress management? Are you feeling pretty good on all of those? What's, what's the story? Um, I, I really do. I mean, I, I sleep really well. Um, and I have a lot of activities in my life. I, I walk about 40 miles a week. So it's Lovely. about four to five miles a day. Yeah. Um, I get outside, I garden, I quilt. Um, I'm, I'm happy. You know, my family's good. My friends are great. Um, so everything is good. And it's just one little thing that I, I, I'm challenging myself to try to figure out. And, um, and that's it. Beautiful. My last question for you is, are you taking you. any organs? Are you, are you using any of our supplements? Are you getting any liver in there? What, yes. What's happening? Yes, I do. Uh, I'm on beef organs, and I also take the, um, the skin, hair, and nail. I've noticed um, uh, my hair a little bit receding mm. um, over the years. I'm 61 years old. Mm. Maybe it's just my age. But um, I'm thinking maybe just the medication, too. Mm -hmm, that, uh, mm -hmm. So those are the two supplements that I do take. Um, and I'm slowly getting into more organs. And I'm going to try my butcher to see if I can try some bone marrow. Lovely. <laughs> That's okay. my next try. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, you've, you've got the big so, one-two yeah. combination. I know you've reduced the processed food and eliminated that, which is a big one for us. And the addition of the organs in the supplemental form is a big win from a micronutrient perspective and healing. And I just love the direction you go in here. So we'll get you an extra bottle of each one of those supplements to continue and make sure you're well stocked up. And somebody from the, the success team will be reaching out as well just to point you in the direction of any other resources and anything that could be helpful. So I appreciate you calling in today, Ellen. Best of luck on your healing journey and keep at it. You're well on the right path. All right, friends, that is it for today. Just one caller. Good luck, everybody. Say a little prayer for Ellen and her healing journey. And you guys keep doing your thing too. Healing and natural radical health is your birthright. This is how we get there. I know today we spent a lot of time talking about the mindset, but it's a big, big piece of this health puzzle. Because if we can't get out of our own way, then we're going to self-sabotage or we're going to get stuck. Or maybe we do all of the healthy behaviors, but maybe we don't have much fun doing it because it's so much restriction and it's suffering and blah, blah, blah. And we want it to be fun. 
We want this health thing to be radical in every sense of the word. So I hope those mental models are helpful for you. I hope you enjoyed today's show. As always, you're helping us out massively. If you like, comment, subscribe, and share with a friend, let us know your biggest takeaway in the comments and keep being radical. We will see you next Wednesday. Peace out, fam. Big love. Bye-bye. All right, friends, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Radical Health Radio. We got a fresh new podcast for you every Wednesday. If you enjoyed the show, consider liking, subscribing, reviewing, and rating us on your podcast platform. It helps us spread this message of Radical Health. We'll see you next week.